Is it time to change your approach and switch to Air Supra, Albuterol Budesonide? Now you can virtually connect with a doctor to discuss your options and see if it's time to make a change. If appropriate, you may even be able to get a prescription for Air Supra the same day. Talk to a doctor today and see if Air Supra is right for you. Visit airsupraconnect.com to connect with a provider. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the WTF1 That Time When podcast. My name is Matthew Gallagher, and joining me for a very interesting topic of that time when, well, Schumacher won his 91st and last Grand Prix, it is two of my favourite people to be on in my Discord server right now. It's Dan Thorne and Tom Bellingham. How are we? Very good, thanks. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, not too bad. You are the only people in the server currently, but that doesn't make you any less of my favourite. Of course, that's that's the running the running gag of this podcast, right? It's not a gag. It's real. <laughs> it's real. It's real love. Right, so today we're throwing back to the end of the 2006 season, and we're going to talk about Shumi. Uh, I'll try not to fanboy too hard, but you know, for people that know me, know that I am a huge Schumacher fanboy, so any sort of negative comments from either of you, and I will not be having it. But at the same time, you're not, you're not passionate, just a fanboy about Shumi and you don't you don't even care. Do you? No. Yeah, I'm full fanboy. There's no there's passion. There's fanboyism. There's love. There's everything that you could possibly wish for in a fanboy. And that's me for Shumi. So won't deny it. So let's look at the 2006 season. Then Fernando Alonso was obviously his main rival uh, throughout well the, the entire season. He was pretty dominant in the first half. Uh, but Schumacher and Ferrari, they came back in the second half and gave people like me some hope. Yeah, Schumacher catching up after not the greatest start to the season sounds a little bit like, which we'll go into, the 2003 season when Ferrari caught up. Um, don't actually remember the controversial rule change that you've written, so do you want to go into that, Dan? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, first first half of the season was basically all Fernando Alonso. He won six of the first nine races, was second in the other three, had five poles in a row, uh, which is, you know, a very sort of un-Alonso stat because qualifying wasn't necessarily his thing. Um, and then he had, had a, a bit of a blip at Indianapolis, which was a track that he was never that good at, uh, which Schumacher won. Um, uh, and then it, Schumacher also won in France with Alonso second. But then ahead of the next race in Germany, uh, Renault or the FIA announced that uh, a device called the tuned mass damper would no longer be allowed, uh, which was basically a device that Renault had sort of pioneered the previous season, which to kind of simplify it a bit was basically just a, a weight on a spring that was located at the front of the car. Uh, which meant that when the car went over curbs, this weight would sort of move around and keep the front of the car stable, which obviously improves aero and helps in slow corners and over curbs and things like that. Um, so that that was a big thing about the Renault, which was part of the reason why it was so competitive. Um, Ferrari had it as well, but it wasn't quite as, as developed as Renault's version. Um, the FIA... Uh, banned it apparently not due to a request from ferrari but another team um so that was banned because it was apparently a movable aerodynamic device which is a little bit weird because it was located inside the car um 
and although it did move and did affect the aerodynamics you know that rule it's always thought that the intention of that is things like uh if moving the front wing or the rear wing kind of like if you use drs outside of a drs zone that would be movable aerodynamics and would be illegal a classic f1 rule where you can yeah. argue it either way and people will have argued you could it. argue like the driver's head is a movable aerodynamic device so you've got to ban drivers with heads from racing sort of thing like yeah um but yeah so that was a slightly controversial uh rule change um he also had some bad luck he was leading the hungarian grand prix by a mile uh and then a wheel came off after his pit stop in monza he had a problem during qualifying had to come in and get it sorted and then had a very narrow window to go out and set his final lap and he was i think he was about three or four seconds ahead of felipe massa at the time and on his out lap alonso set like the fastest second and third sector trying not to block massa but then ferrari complained that the weight from alonso's car had had interfered with massa's lap and the fia gave alonso a penalty for impeding oh i remember that that was incredibly ridiculous. And I think Alonso said like, oh, F1's not a sport anymore and said some really controversial stuff. I think I remember saying the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it was ridiculous. And then his engine blew up in the race to add insult to injury, which kind of put Schumacher right back in the title fight after some bad races for Alonso and the car losing some competitiveness because of the rule change. It's very mysterious, isn't it? This uh, <laughs> how things get banned and things that are well back in two thousand six, maybe not so much now, but it just seemed like you know Ferrari international assistance and all that stuff that people joke about now. But it you know there's no concrete evidence really to say which way. But the penalties were strange, as you say, Dan. And and but then it wasn't just that; it was Alonso just having bad luck and blowing his engine, or you know maybe pushing his engine too hard after getting the penalty. And there's things like that which which obviously didn't yeah, help him. Yeah, it did sum up this era where the title always seemed to go down to the final race, and they weren't afraid to make rule changes to close up the title. Uh, you know, you had and like ridiculous penalties as well from from many years. Then you look at 2004 and when you know Ferrari won pretty much everything and there wasn't yeah. really anything to to rein them back when when that was happening. But either way, let's let's look towards the the Chinese Grand Prix. A lot of people, if you're more of a modern fan of Formula One, will, will recognise the Chinese Grand Prix as as one of the starting uh, races on the calendar. But back in 2006, it was round 16 of 18, so one of the uh, the final races. Which in in my head now, you know, I'm completely. You just think of it as a as a starter, don't you? You, you kind of forget yeah. that it was it was one of the the last rounds in the in the year. Yeah, it's one of those that seems very weird now when you look look back on certain races where they've changed, like Interlagos being at the start, like it used to be. But yeah, the Chinese Grand Prix was very much the tail end of the season. Uh, obviously, two thousand and seven, the year after as well, played pivotal. But yeah, this was uh, right in the mix of the championship fight between. Shumi and Alonso. And this was just after Schumacher announced his retirement after winning the previous race at Monza, which was, yeah, a dark, dark day for myself. Obviously, there had been rumours <laughs> and, you know, things that, that would suggest that Shumi was going to retire. But, we, you know, you always, especially when you're a fanboy like me, I had my head in the sand just hoping to God he was going to just stay around for a couple more years. And, you know, there's a lot of um, arguments that he should have and that he wasn't ready to, well, with the fact that he came back to Formula One 
I don't think he was ready to really leave at that at that moment. And would he have won two thousand and seven? Most likely. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, you know that's just the way it works, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, so, so Shumi was was ready to to give it his absolute all in these last three races. Yeah, I mean the the rumor was and still is that you know it wasn't necessarily Schumacher's decision to retire and it was kind of forced out, but that might be a story for another day. Um, yeah, so he was his motivation was massive. Yeah, ready to win the championship and the title fight was absolutely spicy. It was one of those ones that were pr- properly anticipated. Um, with only three rounds to go, Alonso just two points ahead of Schumacher. Obviously, it's the uh, the older uh, points table, um, so it's a less less points difference. Difference um, is ten, eight, six, four. Yeah, ten, eight, six, five, four, three, two, one. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Um, so let's look to the race build up then. So not historically a good track for Schumacher, and and Renault were starting to look like they were they were back on form. Uh, and that was that was shown in qualifying where Alonso was comfortably on pole and Shumi only down in sixth, which was kind of suggesting that Alonso could definitely put the title back into his hands if he could win and Shumi have a have a bad result. I remember yeah. Schumacher disliking China quite a lot and he was very unlucky there. I believe when it first started, I think he was um one of the reasons he didn't like it as well was didn't he get harassed quite a lot by a lot of silly questions from uh, new journalists and he he because it was uh, a new sport in china and schumacher was obviously the the hero of formula one and very much the superstar like hamilton is today it was very much um he had a lot of media commitments and stuff and he just never really got on with the track either i remember him making uncharacteristic mistakes didn't he get plowed in the back of it in a warm-up lap or it might have even been the way to the grid into yeah it was on the way to the that grid he it, crashed yeah. into christian albers i think yeah so very unshumi like yeah that's don't, don't bring up those moments okay i'm gonna start crying <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah as you say he didn't particularly like china and and qualifying was was pretty poor from him uh and when we look to the race now it was it was wet at the start and of course there was the whole bridgestone bridgestone sorry versus michelin tire tire war and and in the wet the michelins had had the advantage uh, and as the race started alonso led the way from from Raikkonen and fisichella and and shumi slowly making progress as the track dries and that was just the 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 com- completely different element that we have now where obviously everybody has the same tires and it's more about the tire strategy and what compound they go on this was more a case of oh you know is it going to favor the michelins now is it going to favor the bridgestones where's the crossover uh, it was a completely different viewing experience yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Michelin tyres, generally, the wetter it was, the better they were. I mean, we had the, the Hungarian Grand Prix earlier in the year where the Bridgestone runners really struggled, which is Ferrari, basically, and Michelin were uh, were really good when it was wetter. But as it, as it dried out, I think it was believed that the, the Michelin intermediates were a bit better than the... Oh, sorry, the Bridgestone intermediates were a bit better than, than the Michelin. So you had this constantly sort of evolving picture where different cars would be fast at different stages of the race. Yeah, I loved, I loved the tyre war. It was, it was whether it would work nowadays, but there's obviously pros and cons to it. But that was the per- this race was probably a perfect example of why a tyre war was so exciting because it came to drivers in certain situations and it wouldn't just be wet weather it could be track temperature as well where someone yeah. would start putting in incredible laps because they had the superior tires on 
Now, as the race evolved, the track also dried out, and but it was drying quite slowly. So, so Pete, they they were in that kind of really weird part where they kind of had to pit the drivers at the front, but also didn't really know what choice to make, whether they're going to go onto fresh tyres, whether they're going to stay on the intermediates and just wear down the grooves in the tyres so that they essentially become slicks. Obviously, they didn't, but they, they became better in, in slightly drier conditions and didn't overheat as much with with uh, with less, less tread on the tyres. But there was some... Different strategies, and this is where it all kind of fell away for for Alonso. With Fisichella and Schumacher staying on worn inters and pitted only for fuel, which obviously, if they th- thought that was the best way, that also saved time in the pits as well. Whereas Alonso only changed the front tires, which was a gamble that you know when when you've got Fisichella staying on worn inters, you'd, you'd probably just try and mirror that. But Alonso just went for a completely different strategy and and decided to only change his fronts, which just absolutely ruined his race. Yeah, I think I think at the start of the race when it was wet, Alonso had gone a bit too hard and worn his tyres a little bit more, which is why he had to change them um, because it built up a lead and then had lost pace as the pit stops come. So obviously the thinking was, oh, it's okay if we put some new fronts on, we'll we'll get that pace back and be sort of in a similar place to where Schumacher and Fisichella are, but but it didn't work out. No, the the balance was completely wrong, and and Alonso was dreadfully slow. Uh, as yeah. physical it's a weird thing as well the uh changing only one like two tires i don't know if that would be legal now because you have to change they have to be the yeah. right set of tires yeah you wouldn't be able to do it uh, well yeah it depends if if i don't even know if like you say it's legal they could maybe change the two back ones but like you say when you go into the into the stop now because it's normally a one-stop race you tend to change to a different compound don't you so it's very yeah. unlikely yeah and you've got limits on wet tires per weekend and stuff so it, it probably wouldn't be doable now so with alonso on the the terrible strategy and the, the struggling for pace we then had that really strange situation where his own teammate who was you know have to say his rear gunner at this point in the championship was catching and past his teammate uh, as well as Schumacher as well. So it was a very strange situation for Renault, I imagine, where they were just thinking, you know, what do we do here? Do we just try and get Alonso to stay out and Fisichella just back Schumacher up? But the, the pace difference was so 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 huge that they couldn't do that. Didn't Fisichella mess about quite a bit trying to overtake him? And there was one of the strange moments where Fisichella almost didn't know whether he should be passing him or not because, they're, it, like you say, it's such a unique and strange situation where you want to help out your teammate and you don't know whether the best way to help your teammate is to back Schumacher away from him or to essentially try and get in front of him and make sure Schumacher doesn't win the race. Yeah, yeah, it's awkward as well because Fisichella wasn't anywhere near Alonso's pace ever, really, his teammate. So it was, you know, an unusual situation for him to be in, I suppose. So after that, um, Alonso dropped back uh, because his pace was still struggling and he picked for slicks on lap 35 and his problems became even worse as he had a problem in the pits had a really slow stop and then was over 50 seconds behind Uh, and now we look to one of my favorite moments actually full-on tingles when that happened when uh, Schumacher eventually took the lead which I believe was turn oh no he got past Alonso at turn two I think it was wasn't it at China uh, around the long right hand and then on the left was that right does my memory serve me correct I can't remember (laughs) 
Okay, well, I do. I'm going to say it was turn two because <laughs> uh, Alonso was struggling a lot. But uh, I think he may have passed Fisichella on the straight. But either way, Schumacher taking the lead uh, from Fisichella on lap 41. Um, oh, no, sorry. They went on the, onto the slicks on lap 41. Um, and Fisichella makes a mistake on the outlap and Schumacher takes the lead. So, yeah, 41 or 42. But this is where Alonso is then absolutely rapid again. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit too far back. Yeah, I mean, he's dropped so far behind. So it's obviously he's probably got a pretty comfortable podium position, but he's obviously not going to be happy about having burned through his tyres and then had a mistake in the pit. So he's just pushing to see what he can get. And he's going ridiculously quick. I think his fastest lap in the race was something like a second quicker than anyone else's and 1.7 seconds quicker than his teammate's own fastest lap, which is, you know, he had proper pace. (laughs) He was absolutely on it. And it was squeaky bum time because obviously Schumacher did win this race, uh, as we mentioned in the title of this video uh, of this of this podcast. But Alonso only finished three seconds behind in the end, which yeah. just shows that <laughs> the mammoth drive that he put in. Obviously, Schumacher probably not pushing all the way uh, because yeah, he knew he yeah. had a, a, a gap to, to kind of manage. But still, three seconds. I mean, that's a couple more laps if uh, if that was Schumacher's true pace. And Fisichella finishing a distant third. And that left the title fight them absolutely level on points with two races remaining. And we're thinking this is going to go down to the wire. We're going to have the best last couple of races to to decide the championship. And then Schumacher decides to blow up at Japan. (laughs) Another banging race at China as well. A proper underrated track, which we mention every time that we do one of these podcasts. It's, I don't know a track that doesn't seem to have any kind of, no one would put it in their, top 10 list well we would because i know we all really like it um but no no one seems to really rate it but in terms of ratio of unbelievable classic brilliant races china seems to just be right up there there's so many good races there yeah i think part of the problem is is that if it doesn't have a really incredible race it's normally unbelievably boring and everyone just remembers the ones where nothing happens at all but like you say like as ratio of good to bad races it's probably better than most other tracks it's because there's been a lot of wet races and also uh it was very much a um during the, it's a tire the pirelli era it? yeah the absolutely awful on the tires that first turn just shredded them it's weird isn't it because I, I find that maybe china is lacking just that little bit of showbiz element in terms of you know, when you look at Suzuka as a classic, but we don't really have that many classics around Suzuka, but because of 130R, they're like, oh, you know, that's amazing. You know, we have such an amazing track here. Whereas China, I think, just lacks that little bit of just that just that stardom. You know, do you know what I mean? It's kind of just missing that that element of, of kind of picture taking. And it's just, it's quite... It's yeah, quite 100%. Flat, it's, it's, yeah, I think, I think it's the fact that it is, um, even though the races are really good, it is a bit of a dull track. I, I like the track layout and stuff, but in terms of the whole, like I say, showmanship, there's nothing really there. It's in the middle of, uh, isn't it like a, a bog that they like yeah, built the track yeah. on? And it's not It's not like it's in a cool city center or something that makes it really exciting no, like it's Singapore. Always, it's always like overcast and smoggy and it, all the pictures look a little bit gray and bland. And it's, yeah, there's there's nothing eye-catching about it as a circuit really but but it just works it absolutely does and it deserves it deserves more more credit than it than it gets for sure but there you go that is pretty much it do either of you have anything to add on this subject lads 
it's well, weird like remembering it back it seems like a classic shumi win like oh it's a wet dry race he comes from behind out of nowhere against the odds to win it but then looking back at it it's it's you'll hate me saying this matt but it's almost a little <laughs> bit of a lucky win because uh Raikkonen was ahead of him and his car failed Raikkonen might well have won that race if his mclaren held together alonso had a problem in the pit stop which cost him 15 seconds um Fisichella went off the track in front of him it, it was I mean Schumacher drove brilliantly to win it don't get me wrong but you know it wasn't he didn't take that win that shouldn't have been here yeah there's no others, there's, others lost it there's no denying that you know Schumacher it wasn't the fastest as we saw with Alonso catching at the end and it was just more of a case of being there at the right time and and, and taking the victory when everyone else either made mistakes or had had bad luck and yeah I won't, I won't say it's one of Schumacher's best drives but it certainly um is up there in terms of just one of those classic races that Schumacher ended up winning yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely whereas later in the in the season obviously in the next couple of races which I'm sure we should we should definitely do a podcast about this one but the Schumi's race in Brazil which would be his final race in inverted commas before he obviously returned to Mercedes that was one of those races while he didn't win I was willing him on for a podium because my days, that was one of the most incredible drives. One of those drives that you think only Schumacher could have done that. Been so yeah, far, 100%. so far behind, absolutely nowhere. And he pulled his way back uh, to the front. I love all this Schumi love very much. Um, we should continue with that time when about Schumi <laughs> as long as it's positive and not the fact that he parked uh, his car at Monaco. Either way, uh, should he have won the 2006 championship, do you reckon? I think when right. we when we look at it at, from China, I felt like the momentum was definitely with Schumacher and he was going to win had he not blown up at Suzuka. But in terms of maybe across the whole season and when you take into all the factors, it's it's difficult to say. I think they both deserve the championship. It was an incredible title fight and it was a bit of a shame really that Schumacher was retiring and Alonso was moving because you'd been waiting so long for a kind of classic driver to take it Schumacher obviously you had Kimi in 2003 but it was never really a titanic battle if you like no, uh, you, no. you we'd been waiting for a proper kind of two horse race for the title since probably Hakkinen and Schumacher way back in 98 really so this was very much you know finally someone's taking the fight to Schumacher Schumacher's in the fight as well which he wasn't in 2005 and you're having this incredible battle but sadly that was obviously the last time they did it because Schumacher retired and Alonso moved to McLaren so so Tommy yes or no should he have won the championship no Schumacher? no Alonso deserved it okay uh, it's different different questions should he have won the, the championship or did he deserve I guess when we're if we're looking at it from China onwards should Schumacher have won the championship had he not blown up no, because you can't just look at three races in isolation. Otherwise, you could look at three races early in the season for Alonso and say, like, oh, he won three in a row. Of course, he just deserved it based on those three races. Yeah, no, it's not more of it. I'm not asking <laughs> in, on a deserve level. I'm just saying when you're looking at the momentum, when you're looking at how the teams were and the pace of the Ferrari at Suzuka, for example, you know, they were battling, but Schumacher was winning. You kind of look at it like that. And, and, and in my head, I'm trying not to be a fanboy, but I feel like Schumi should have taken the championship from here had he had there been equal amounts of luck that's that's kind of my point oh yeah had had they had they not blown up after this race and he didn't have that failure i very much think he would have won the title 
Yeah, yeah. At the time of the race, I was like, oh well, that's it. Schumacher's going to win the title because we'd spent the whole decade watching Schumacher win championships. It's almost like yeah. a conclude. You just knew that this is it's how like, it ends. <laughs> Schumacher. <laughs> this is it's like, oh, that was fun while it lasted. Back to normal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I bet for you two, you're like, yes, Alonso, and I was there, like, please no, Schumi, get another one. <laughs> um, either way, there you go. Thank you so much, guys. Tommy and Dan for for your inputs and uh, there you go Shumi his last ever win 91 wins we thought it would never be beaten but it looks like if we get underway at any point this year it will be beaten um, unfortunately for for people like myself I'm sure there are many Shumi fans uh, listening as well but uh, make sure to get involved if you have any ideas uh, in terms of you know next and future that time when podcasts use the hashtag WTF1 podcast or just get involved uh, on social media we're on, on, on everything at WTF1 official uh, and we can take your ideas because we do like them and uh, also give us five stars on whatever you're listening to because uh, we deserve nothing less. Isn't that right, boys? Of course. Oh, absolutely. There you go. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon for another That Time When podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. Cheers and ta Bye. 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 Be visible. Bye. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.